This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... Mm -hmm. We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar along with Judd Zolgad here. And where we want to start as we get ready for the New Orleans Saints and the Minnesota Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday is... The roster makeup put together by one general manager, Rick Spielman, who was named Pro Football Weekly's Executive of the Year. Judd, your reaction to the news that Rick Spielman got Executive of the Year? Well, uh, this might surprise some, Matthew Collar, but I will say this. Well-deserved. I mean, I think that when you look at, at the shortcomings of this team, especially offensively, but, the, but what went wrong in 2016 – a lot of those things had to do with immediate impact of the 2016 draft, and they certainly had to do with depth at the tackle spots uh, and and running back and, and first and foremost, quarterback, right? So I think that the, the key thing was Spielman and Zim, to a lar- large degree, both learned from their mistakes, and the most important thing that the Vikings did was they came into this year prepared. I mean, the defense... Uh, if it stayed healthy, which it did, was going to be good. But, I mean, offensively in 2016, this team turned into a complete train wreck. And there were a lot of things that went wrong and were out of the Vikings' control. But in a lot of those cases, you also simply didn't have depth and you weren't prepared. You know, I, I always go back to what we've talked about a bunch, which is you went to training camp with Teddy and Sean Hill. And and no one could have foreseen a Teddy having a catastrophic knee injury but you certainly said to yourself, if Teddy misses time, this team's in huge trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, Teddy gets hurt. They panic, trade for Bradford, which was fine. But you still went to training camp without a backup plan. In this case, no pun intended once again, you, you had Keenum right there uh, who we didn't know exactly what to expect from. But we did say, okay, there is a legitimate backup quarterback who can probably play at least. So the preparation of this team to me is where Spielman took a really, really big step, and there were backups now available who could help. You know, there's another part of Rick Spielman being executive of the year that has to do a lot with Mike Zimmer, that Mike Zimmer went into the offseason saying, you know what, I'm done just being the defensive guy. I'm going to dip my toe or my whole foot on the offensive side, and I'm going to have say on the offensive side because I'm the head coach, and I know a lot about offenses from all of my experience shutting them down. And one of the areas that he contributed a lot here was a focus on building a team that could succeed with screen passes. He talked about today even how difficult screen passes are to stop and how many issues they create for defenses when teams are hitting on them. I mean, Mm -hmm. just for example, your edge rushers have to respect the fact that you might run a screen 
at all times. It's a lot harder for them to just pin the ears back and chase after the quarterback or get too far upfield when they know that you could just drop it off to a running back and have them go for 20 or 30 yards. That was something that they just did not do successfully at all last year. We talked about McKinnon was only basically a check down that they were unable to use him in screens. The only time they could use screens was throwing to Cordero Patterson, but usually as a wide receiver. So that's you know a lot different of a story there. So they go out not only and have Zimmer put an emphasis on this, that's what he wants, but then the general manager goes out and builds a roster, gets players that can do that, can help there. And Pat Elfline is where that all begins. But also, as we've talked about quite a bit, Moving on from Alex Boone, a major part of that is you can't run screens when Alex Boone at six foot eight and three hundred and ten pounds is your left guard and deciding to put Nick Easton in there. And think about how many times they got big plays out of just dropping off a little screen pass and having the offensive lineman get out there in space. It's made their offense so much more explosive with plays that don't take a lot of work for the quarterback but do take a really good team effort. And we know how good their defense was already, but on the offensive side, that's where you see not only just the top executive making the right moves, but Zimmer actually learning from some of his mistakes, which a lot of head coaches do not do. They're mostly the same people. The two things uh, that that strike me about this team that that we probably don't appreciate, Collar, are this. What you just said. How many football people are stuck in their ways, right? And for Zimmer and Spielman to take 2016 and learn from it to me, you might say, yeah, well, no, duh. But it's impressive. I mean, I can't tell you how many 60-year-old-plus football coaches say, no, no, this is my way, and I'm coming back and doing it. Uh, the other thing that I think we, we don't talk about nearly enough, and I, I cannot stress because this is going to come back around at some point in time, and we're we're going to say why did, didn't we appreciate it at that time? Is Shermer the job that Pat Shermer has done offensively? I can't stress this. I mean, I have seen, and I'm sure you have too, so many coordinators, right? Who you get done with a game, and there's like ten calls or eight to ten calls where you're like, what were they even doing there? I mean, the personnel didn't fit the call, and that seems weird. And of mm-hmm. course, and of course, you'll get your your folks who, who say. Don't question them. They know football, and you think you do. And you're like, but no, this didn't make sense. When you consider the amount of logical things this coaching staff and uh, personnel department has done, the things that just make perfect sense, and I think you get you get to that point, and it happens, and, and you just start to say, oh, yeah, of course they, they did this or that. But remember all of the times where, as uh, fans or in our jobs, we sit there and discuss things that baffle us. And then think back. How many of those occasions have there been this year? How many occasions have we said the play calling made no sense or the personnel move made no sense? For the most part, the Vikings have deserved praise, I think, for doing things that might seem simple, but they make sense, and those things help you win football games. And where do you see that the most, in my mind, is third down and short in, in the red zone. That there were so many times, especially in the red zone last year, where they ran Matt Asiata. And I just can't think of anything more crazy than running Matt Asiata at the goal line. I mean, this is a guy who didn't get a job. He did not play in the NFL this year. No one signed him. And that was someone you were turning to in key situations. So instead, and this speaks to the coaching staff and the front office working together, 
they got Latavius Murray, who was one of the best players at the goal line in the entire NFL. And he's been really productive this year in pounding the ball in when they give it to him at the two or the one yard line because he's gigantic and strong and actually fast, unlike uh, Matt Asiata. So, he, I mean, he has had a lot of success with that where they failed last year. The creativity, too, at the goal line. Even when Adrian Peterson was still here under Norv Turner, a lot of it was give it to AP, give it to AP. And at the end of the year, they're at the bottom of the league in red zone because a lot of that is just creativity, misdirection. How many of Case Keenum's touchdowns this year were just thrown a yard or two to somebody wide open at the goal line? And that, I mean, yep. that, that is a ma- right. that's a major, major compliment to the offensive coordinator. That's not even weapons. I mean, that's not even like having great wide receivers or running backs. All that is, is those throws where someone's wide open is 100% just scheme. You mm-hmm. fooled the other team. And going all the way back, Zimmer's decision to keep Pat Shermer. There were times last year, 2016, where we said, you know, I mean, Shermer's done a better job, and, you know, Sam Bradford is going to finish with good numbers, but I'm not so sure this offense can be that explosive. And then all Shermer needed was an upgrade on the offensive line, and he's been able to paint with all the colors of the palette this year, and it's basically been a masterpiece for to, to have the 10th scoring offense while losing your top quarterback and top skill player in Delvin Cook. Um, it, I mean, it, it really is a testament to that decision by Zimmer to see, okay, this is the offensive coordinator that we want to build this. Exactly, yeah. And, and I, I just I can't stress that enough from my view because I have seen this team so many times do things that don't make sense and do things that seem stupid. And and the true Vikings fan will always say, no, they know what's best. And it's like, no, they don't. Well, in this case, they do. And I just I keep going back to the to the point of coaching. At least this starts with a with a head coach who's really, really good. But he's also willing to adjust and adapt. And that's hard. I mean, there's a lot of pride here. There's a lot of guys who say my system works. Zimmer, though, and this is why I think this defense is so good. Zimmer's defense works. The personnel is great, but he is willing to listen to players and he is willing to change things. And and that's why I don't think that, that this defense can be be simply deducted and then and then torn apart by an opposing coordinator on offense. Because I do think that as soon as as as, court, as, as OCs on opposing teams start to deduct things and start to attack, he changes. And that is something that for a lot of guys is very hard to do. Yeah, the, it, it, the defensive mentality, and maybe this is why a lot of defensive head coaches have lasted a long time. Uh, maybe it's uh, Wade Phillips, for example, is still in the league. Dick LeBeau, still in the league, and these guys are in the playoffs. Um, you know, maybe this is one of the reasons why the, the, that type of guy has so much success, um, because the, they have to change all the time to what opposing offenses are doing throughout the history of this game. It's always... The offense first figures out a way that the defense cannot stop them. West Coast offense, for example, with the 49ers, and then Dick LeBeau comes along and invents the zone blitz to confuse quarterbacks on those short throws over the middle. I mean, that's been the history of the game, and maybe because Zimmer has been here era after era, if you can be a really good defensive coordinator early in your career and then transition to 10, 15 years later, still have a a top defense and be one of the top coordinators, 
you've adapted several times since then. Remember when the Wildcat came back uh, all of a sudden and you know, with Tony Sperano and they were running it uh, unstoppably for a year, then everybody adapted? <laughs> Dolphins I mean, against the Patriots, yes. Yeah, I mean that's what the great Patriots annoyed it. Yes, that's what the great defensive coaches do, and I hey, and I think that Zimmer has basically done that. The best was, was read option 49ers Packers playoff game, right? Yeah, Kaepernick, yep. Kaepernick goes absolutely nuts, and I remember all the commentators saying, "Oh my God, this is here to stay. What's going to happen the next season?" And I said to people, "I said, here's what's going to happen: defensive coordinators around." around the country in this league are going to go into dark rooms for months on end and they're going to figure out how to stop it. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, the 49ers came out the next year, read option. And guess what? It was toast. Um, But I just give, I give Zimmer a lot of credit because I feel like, like he listens and I feel like he adapts and adjusts and, and it becomes a lot tougher to, uh, to attack somebody when they're constantly willing to adapt and, I think, as a whole, the most impressive thing for the Vikings this year has been a willingness to adapt, adjust, and be flexible. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And now what you see is a lot of uh, RPOs where the quarterback can either hand it off or or he can throw on a particular play. And those have been around for a while, but it's almost every play seems to be that way in the NFL now, that they're all over the place. And the read option thing still exists. Uh, it isn't as much as it was, but it's still being used from time to time. The Wildcat is pretty much RIP. Thank goodness the Vikings. Yeah, the not- Vikings should never. Hey, that's the one thing. Uh, Sperano might be a great guy, but never go to him again and say, <laughs> hey, should, hey, should we run a little bit of Wildcat? I don't need to see. If I never see a Wildcat run by the Vikings again, it'll be too soon. Yeah, no, I I definitely uh, agree with that. But even uh, Case Keenum pulled one read option run for a touchdown. So it. That that still uh, exists out there. Now, talking about adjustments, Judd, I'm curious what adjustments you think the Vikings will make from week one and what the Saints will make from week one. Because I, I went back and I yep. watched I watched every play of that game, and the one thing I came away with was we shouldn't take anything from what that Saints defense did because those guys were lost. They didn't know what the calls were. They didn't communicate. It Thielen was, had a huge game, right? And Thielen was running wide open on some plays yep. where you're like, okay, why is he one-on-one with Manti Teo? <laughs> that is not by design. And so I think now they've shored all that up and they have a much better defensive system. Um, on the offensive side, though, Judd, I'm not sure they need – the Saints are going to make a whole lot of different changes outside of just not having Adrian Peterson, that they won't force him the ball because he's not there – but you know, they're going to try to work it to Kamara more often. I, I would say that's part of it, but they still got him involved in week one. I think it's going to be a lot of the same stuff that you saw there, and they moved the ball quite a bit in that game and just didn't finish at the goal line. What did Kamara have? I'm, I'm pulling up the box score right now. Kamara in week one, actually, he didn't have a huge game, but he did touch the ball quite a bit, correct? He yeah, had- yeah, yeah. Seven carries for 18 yards, and Kamara cuts uh, four passes for 20 yards. Yeah, sometimes we, just from talking to players, I mean, they almost make it sound like the guy wasn't on the team in, in week one. Like, no, no, he was he was there, and they gave him the ball. He just didn't do well. And remember, he there was that little swing pass that Anthony Barr blew up um, for a six-yard loss, I think on a third down, and we sort of looked at each other and went, oh, if this Anthony Barr is here, they're going to have the best defense in the NFL. Yeah, it, it's on. I don't know that adjustments uh, collar is the right word here. It's been when you don't play a team uh, from week one to now, 
and plus it's a playoff game. I mean, I think you you certainly you certainly might go back back to that film and purposely tweak things, uh, not to give an opponent the same look. But I think this is such it's such a long gap that, that these teams have both just changed. Like I I sense some defensiveness about the conversation of well well you shouldn't take a, a lot into account from week one. Like like the teams are thinking well you're putting us down what we did in, in week one. I'm not at all. You've just changed. I mean, your identity's changed. Sam Bradford started that game for the Vikings. The Vikings, we thought, were going to be an okay team. I certainly didn't think that they were going to win 13 games. Um, the Saints' the Saints defense was coming off, what, back-to-back at least atrocious years. That defense in the September 11th game didn't play that well, but matured. So, so when we talk about this being a different game and the identities being different, that's not an indictment of how they played in week one. It's just a world apart. So... I'm not in any way, shape, or form trying to say that that we should dismiss week one because I think the teams were bad then. I'm dismissing lots of things because they've just changed in what? In 17, 18 weeks. Yeah, I I mean, I agree with that, but I also think that some of the core concepts that the Saints have been doing for a really long time are still going to be there. The seam throws. Nobody makes seam throws to their tight ends against the Vikings because their defense is so fast. But I think that the Saints could try to do that, and we saw some great throws by Drew Brees in Week 1 to Colby Fleener. He had a big throw uh, over the top of Ben Gideon. I think they will try to get Gideon on the field. We saw that uh, in Week 1, too. And I'm just just looking from from that game. Brees threw – he had five passes to Mark Ingram. He had five to Ted Ginn. He had five to Colby Fleener. He had five to Michael Thomas and four to Elvin Kamara. I mean, he was spreading the ball around to almost everybody. He did that last week uh, against Carolina, too. And that's one of the things is that you can't really key in on just one guy and try to shut that guy down. Like, remember against Tampa Bay, when Xavier Rhodes shut down um, Mike Evans, it was almost like Tampa Bay didn't know what to do after that. And that's been the, the case a few times with the Vikings defense. And, and against this team, you know that even guys you don't think of as being very good players might get the ball at some point because Breeze will throw it in, in any situation. And the thing about the Vikings defense in that game, now they're better now than they were then, the Vikings defense, but it's a lot the same because it's been the same players for the past few years. It, it's really interesting to me that there was a 13-play drive that ended up in a field goal for New Orleans. There was another 13-play drive that ended up in a field goal. There was another eight-play drive for 83 yards that ended up in a field goal, and a 12-play drive that took over five minutes and ended up in a field goal for the Saints. I mean, that they were able to move the ball in that game, and not just in garbage time, but long drives, sustained drives. They just couldn't finish any of them off, and that is, if there's any huge adjustment that the Saints are going to make, it's going to be looking at what everybody else did against the Vikings in the red zone and see if there's any way to possibly score, which is not easy. Just want to let everyone know about the Purple Podcast Big Game Special Edition powered by Sprint. Courtney Judd and I will be talking about all things associated with the big game. We'd like to thank Sprint for their partnership with this special edition podcast. And to learn more about how you can get Sprint's incredible unlimited plan that includes Hulu, visit a local Sprint store today. Sprint, it works for me. And that comes down to one guy, right? Drew Brees. Yep. I, I mean, Drew, Drew Brees and... and 
listen, this is not an indictment of case, all right? So let's make that very clear. I'm, I'm very sick of being told I hate case. I do not hate case. But when we're talking about Case Keenum and Drew Brees, guess what? Drew Brees is going to Canton. He's walking into Canton. Um, and listen, as good as Drew Brees is, the stakes in this game now increase. He's been here before. And in, in games like this, he can be spectacular. Does that mean the Vikings defense can't stop him or slow him? Absolutely not. But as, as Barr told you, and I think that this is the thing that people need to keep in mind, Drew Brees will complete passes where he completes it, and you say he is, he had no business completing that pass. That's true. And and as well as this defense might play on Sunday, my guess is there's going to be a handful of passes that he completes, and you're like, I can't believe that that's a completion. But that's the nature of, of this beast. And this also goes back to why I've been harping on this fact. For the Vikings to win this game, the one thing the offense is going to have to do is keep Breeze and, Breeze and their own defense off the field. Because if you put them out there all day against Breeze, they're going to tire. He's too good. So offensively, the Vikings do need to score some touchdowns. But what they also need to do is, is score those touchdowns with some pretty sustained drives. Because I think the most important starting point is Breeze can't hurt you from the sideline. And, and the more rest that you can get your defense, the more effective they can be. The last thing you want is to get into the late third or early fourth quarter and all of a sudden, the defense has been out there for a long, long time. That could be death. So, But the Drew Brees conversation, to, uh, to me, I mean, this guy is absolutely spectacular. And there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to complete some passes where I, I look at you in the press box and say, holy bleep. And you're like, yep, this is what, this is what we knew was coming. Uh, by the way, with the red zone, New Orleans finished the season, despite that dreadful week one where they couldn't score in the red zone against the Vikings, they finished as the fifth best team in the red zone in the entire NFL. They were even ahead of the Vikings, who finished ninth. I, I mean, which is, by the way, just a revelation for the Vikings compared to where their red zone offenses had been in the past. But that means New Orleans was blazing hot in the red zone after that game against the Vikings and maybe that speaks a little bit to just uh, how much has changed now the running game to me Judd might be the biggest area where where you're talking about Keenum and Breeze might be the biggest area for the Vikings where they absolutely must succeed or they're going to lose this game I think the most important guy for this entire game might be Latavius Murray interesting and I I agree in, in this for this offense on Sunday to operate at, at peak efficiency, if you go into that game saying Keenum's going to have to have a huge game, guess what? That's a huge ask, right? But if this offense plays well as a whole and Murray can uh, be effective carrying the ball and catching the ball as well, along with Jarek, you're in pretty good shape. So I think when you say that at first, lots of people might be like, wow, but it's probably true. And if you were going to eat clock up, guess what? It's going to have to be because your offensive line plays a great game and your backs are effective. So, yeah, for Murray, it's going to come down to can he effectively eat up yards, do, do what he's done basically for a few weeks now, quite a while. He's been good. Uh, and if he can, you're talking about the ability then to have extended possessions, which to go back to what I was saying, I think is an absolute key to this game. And the Vikings are seventh in the NFL in yards per attempt when they run play action. That's not going to work if they can't run the ball. Uh, last thing, Judd, some injury news took me by surprise today. Um, 
Terrence Newman and Everson Griffin both end up on the injury report. Uh, Ever- mm-hmm. Everson Griffin with the foot injury, presumably the same one as before, but I, I don't know that for sure. Uh, and Terrence Newman did not practice. And as much veteran savvy as there is there, this would be a week where he'd be practicing f- in full if he could. Uh, not a guy that you're giving some extra rest to because you already had the bye week. The most important player for me right now is Latavius Murray slash the offensive line allowing them to run the ball. If Terrence Newman all of a sudden can't play, I think the most important player then quickly becomes Mackenzie Alexander because he's going to have to go from a guy that's mixed in on 32% of snaps to somebody that's going to have to play almost every snap of the entire game. And the one thing about this Vikings defense is there have been no cracks in the foundation with injuries this year that they've been at basically 100% for every game outside of a couple games missing Sandejo, you know, uh, the one game with Everson Griffin. But outside of that, they have been at 100%. If they're missing Newman, I think that's a huge deal. When did he hurt that foot? Do we know offhand? Do not know because he was limited on Wednesday. And then yep. today it surprised me that uh, he was not out there for practice. And, and limited, I understood, because, okay, you know, you want him at practice, but maybe you're not having him run around if he's a little dinged up from something. But not practicing on a Thursday is that that, that could be really big, and he might end up being a game-time decision or, or questionable. We'll really find out on Friday. But if, if he's not there, then yikes. That's a big deal. Um, if he can't play on Sunday and, and McKenzie becomes a key cog, I don't want to tell people to panic immediately because th- this defense is still very good. Have the button nearby, though. I mean, that is uh, – th- it's not Harrison Smith or Rhodes, but it's a big deal. And if he can't go and you're playing Drew Brees and Alexander now has to play a lot, that's uh, – as I like to say once again, that's a big ask, Matthew. So that one would make me extremely skittish. And, and this is not the quarterback that I want to throw a kid out there who's played pretty well, but he's still a kid, and say, go get him. So that's a tough one. Yeah, and overall, um, even though he made a couple of plays here or there, uh, Mackenzie Alexander's pro football focus numbers were not particularly good uh, in terms of his grade. That's on a very small sample of throws in his direction this year, but um, – you know, he was only in for 30% of snaps, but right. when he was in, teams did go against him from time to time and have a, a little bit of success, whereas Terrence Newman, once again, had just a phenomenal season and continued to defy time. And he might be a guy that is just going to play no matter what, even if he's dinged up, but at the same time, you're asking him to play maybe at not at 100%. Uh, At 39 years old, too, Matthew. Yeah, yeah. And a, and a Thursday injury, you would agree with this, wouldn't you, Judd, that a Thursday uh, does not practice. I mean, that's that's red flags. Wednesday, Wednesday Thursday is not good. Right. If you miss Friday, I'm like, ah, okay, not that big a deal. But, I mean, Wednesday, Thursday is about installation and plans and full practices. I would agree completely. If you, if you miss a Thursday – it's not that, that a guy like this, it's going to be absolutely crucial, but it does speak to something that is probably um, at, at least serious enough to be concerned about. How does that sound? 
Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And maybe he'll play through it, or maybe it's serious. Of course, in a week like this, uh, they are not going to let us know. Um, but we will have more information on, on that as it comes. So thank you, Judd, and thank you all for listening. We've still got one more Purple Podcast to go with uh, Courtney tomorrow as we lead you up to the playoff game. So we'll talk to you then. No right? more caffeine, Courtney. Oh, no yeah, more caffeine. Lay off. You're worse than me. Lay off the caffeine. Red Just Bull and put the, coffee. Put the coffee cup. You're too young for this. Put the coffee cup down and back away. We're worried about you. Your heart's going to start racing. Okay, I'll pass it along, Judd. Thank you all for listening to the Bye. Purple Podcast. Bye.